It is so important. It is so important that the Bible only names two qualifications, and one of them is that you must be equally yoked with someone that you are walking life with. A.W. Tozer said the most important thing about a person is what they think about God. That is the most important thing about a person. Because who you think runs the universe will inform you of values and goals. And if they're not a believer, they're going to go in a different direction. You're going in two different directions. You're traveling in opposite directions. And if you're supposed to walk as partners in life, listen, and the goal and the intention of dating is to evaluate. If, if singleness is about devotion, then dating is about evaluation. You're evaluating, is this someone that I want to spend the rest of my life with? Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. You've come on a great night. Um, <laughs> so, let's pray, and then I'll tell you what we're going to talk about tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful, God, to be in this place where we can gather together to worship you and to sing to you, Lord. And, um, Lord, we're thankful for your word that tells us that um, you dwell among the praises of your people. And so, Lord, we pray as, uh, as we get into your word together, God, that you would speak by your spirit as you've been so faithful to you. Lord, we pray that the gifts of the Spirit would be evident tonight. We would see, God, your hand move upon, uh, upon our hearts. And um, God, would you speak into the areas of our life where we need it, where we need to hear from you, not just the opinion of men or uh, an idea uh, of society, but Lord, we, we want to hear directly from your mouth, your lips. And so, Lord, we pray that you would guide this time. And Lord, that you be blessed by what you hear and what you see tonight. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, last week we began, uh, we're just picking up where we left off last year in the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, like we said last week, uh, Corinthians is a corrective letter. And we've kind of hit this halfway point in this book where uh, Paul has spent the last six chapters correcting different issues that were going on in the church. And, and Paul's writing to them with this intention that if you're going to be used by the Lord, if God's going to um, use this church in this city to reach that city, then there needs to be holiness. And there's some major issues that came up, and one of them was sexual immorality. Uh, if, if you uh, don't know what that is, you can go back to our, we have a podcast where all the teachings are on it, and we talked about what it looks like uh, as a Christian and sexuality and all of that stuff. And I don't ever want to talk about it again. And, and last week we came to this portion of scripture where um, we talked about the instruction that Paul gives to church members who are single. And some of you were like, hated my guts, but here you are, you're back, and it's good to see you again. And um, so tonight we're going to talk about dating which is the next, the next kind of step. And I don't know if you've ever, if you know this, but um, it is really difficult to do a Bible study on something that the Bible doesn't talk about. <laughs> Dating's not in the Bible. Um, did we pray? We did. Dating's not, it's not in the Bible. Like there's people who are married and then there's people who are not married. And usually they exchange a camel or two and they get married. Like, that's how it happened. There was no, you know, I have a kid, you have a kid, and, you know, let's make, let's make this happen. You know, it's, you know, it's kind of a different concept. So last week, last week we looked at verse 7 of chapter 7. And we were working our way kind of backwards through the text as it talks about singleness uh, in, towards the end of it and then works its way towards those who are married. And so I thought, hey, that makes sense. Um, if you're single, you're definitely not married. So marriage is like next, it's down the line for you. And so um, makes sense to work, maybe not that far. Some of you are like, hey, maybe not that far, but it does make sense to work backwards through the text. But uh, Paul's answering these questions that the Corinthian church asked. And now that uh, we're saved is basically what they're asking. Now that we're saved, 
Um, how does that affect our relationships? They lived in a, a sex-crazed culture. Uh, Corinth was known as an ancient Las Vegas. And I think a lot of times we, we think that we're so different than ancient people because of the theory of evolution. And so we're evolving away. Humans have always been humans and have acted like humans since the beginning of humans. Okay, we've always acted with this kind of, of um, evil and wickedness and, and this bent towards sin. And we'll get towards that in, in later in the text. But um, we don't have the letter that they wrote to Paul, but we do have his answers to them. And so we can kind of guess at what the questions were. And so as they're working through, and we're working through this chapter, they're working through things in their own life. We started in verse 7 that says, For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in the manner and another in that. And Paul was talking about himself as a single man. Now, Paul wasn't always single. Uh, according to rabbinical teaching, uh, he was Saul of Tarsus before that. And so to be that kind of leader in Israel, he was probably married. We don't know what happened to his wife. She may have passed away. Um, she may have left him once she found out that he had converted to Christianity. We don't know. But... Um, that's kind of where he's at. He's single now. And he's saying, I wish that all men were as myself, without care. And we're going to explain what that means. He's not like, it kind of sounds rude. It sounds like Paul's a crusty old bachelor. And he's like, marriage is the worst. <laughs> I'm so glad my wife's gone. Now I can live it up for myself. Like, that's not what his attitude is. But he tells us the single, uh, those that are single in the church, look, God has given you the, this time as a gift. And some of you are saying, that's a gift I never asked for, never wanted. <laughs> but you can choose to see it that way, or you can see it as a death sentence. And Paul says, it's not a noose around your neck. He, he says, this is a time in which God has given you as a gift, and here's what the gift is for. Here's the proper and appropriate setting for it to be used in. He wanted to, to promote uh, what is appropriate for the environment. What is appropriate for the environment? If you go back to verse 29 of chapter 7, Paul says, this is what's going on in the environment that we're living in. He says, but this I say, brethren, that time is short. Time is short. He's saying that the time of, uh, of us being here, the church age, is coming to an end. It's a short time where Christ will return. And so he wanted to paint this picture for us that the world is on fire. And I don't know if you have noticed lately that things are a little chaotic in the world that we're living in. Christ is coming back. Uh, Jesus is not surprised by the events that are going on. He's like, geez, things have really gotten out of control. Okay, this was predicted. This was told uh, by scripture. It's, it's been something that we've been looking forward to is the return of Christ. He says, these are the pains in which the earth is going to go through before the return of Christ. So, Paul's saying, I want to promote what is appropriate for the environment that you are in. And that is time is short. And so in verse 32, he says, I want you to be without care. Um, because it, it's a time in which it's, it, there's less distraction. The gift of singleness is a time of less distraction. Now, you live in a culture that is incredibly distracted, right? Some of you right now are like, there's a buzz in my pocket, but it's not really buzzing. Like, we're going through that kind of withdrawal to where we have phantom alerts. That the, our phone is right there. We need it. We have to, you know, is there, and so we have all these new anxieties and all these new different things where we're so distracted. I don't know about you. I am so distracted by all things. Like even now talking in my own head, I'm looking out and, and thinking other things and my brain just going a mile a minute of like, whoa, look at that guy's hair. That's cool. Look at that. Maybe I could try that. Like is my beard as cool as Michael's? All this is going through my head. We are constantly distracted. And, and actually there's an algorithm to keep you distracted. And Paul's saying a time in which you are single is to be a time in which you are freeing yourself of distraction in order that we might devote ourselves to the Lord. It's a time of devotion. A time in which we can be more dedicated to the things of the Lord, to be a good steward of that time, to remove distraction, to give ourselves towards devotion to the Lord. And Paul remotes, promotes the single life because he knows in order to have a good and God-honoring marriage, you have to care about each other, and that means time is spent cultivating that relationship. 
Paul's not saying it's such a bummer to be married because you don't have as much time to serve the Lord. He's saying in order to do what God has called you to do as a married man, as a married woman, it's going to take time to be a God-honoring marriage. Therefore, if you're not married, see it as a time of preparation. See it as a time, a gift in which you can prepare for what God has in store for you. It's not a death sentence. It's not the end of the world. It's a short time. And so we want to be prepared. So Paul's promoting that. That's what he's speaking into. So what happens when then two unmarrieds meet, right? That's, that happens. I'm not married. You're not, I'm married. But, you know, when you meet someone... And this is hard for me to talk about, seeing how I haven't been single in 20 years. Um, I'm 35, which is not that old, so you can do the math. I met my wife at 15. Um, we dated for five years, and we got married. So, so, you know, when I slid her the note with the, you know, do you like me, yes or no? You know, that's kind of my preference point for dating. And um, so, by no means... Am I like the expert on this and like sending her, you know, dashboard confessional CD mixes? And I'm like, yeah, just love you so much. <laughs> All right. What happens when two unmarrieds meet? He's going to talk about that in a minute. Um, he says in verse 25, but even if you do marry, you have not sinned. Can I get an amen? Okay. We talked about it last week, whether you're single or whether you get married, not one, one is not holier than the other. However, if you worship marriage as the end and the purpose of your life, you will be gypped by the devil. That is not the purpose of our life. We talked about how like this much of the Bible is written about dating. It's not even, there's not even dating in the Bible for crying out loud. And here I am trying to do this, but this, this about this much is written about marriage and romance. Like you have all of Song of Solomon, Ruth's in there, a couple of passages in Ephesians. That's it. What do you realize? What do you, what do you see in that? The storyline of scripture is not about marriage. It's about Jesus Christ. And the more that that is highlighted in your life, the better off you're going to be. Hope deferred, the Bible says in Proverbs, makes the heart sick. If you're pouring all of your hope into this one event in which you will be married and satisfied in this one person, you will at some point be disappointed in that person. Because the Bible never said that, like Jerry Maguire, you complete me, right? I've never, like, there's no person on this planet that God has given to you that completes you. The Bible says that woman was given to man to complement him, meaning that Christ completes us. Christ completes us. And we'll get more into that in a minute. And one of the most precious pursuits that a lifelong partner for all of our life is tragically being regulated relegated to tweets, texts, snaps, to ambiguous flirtations and fooling around, and it's wrong. When the world is expecting less and less of each other in dating, God isn't. So, as singles, we have to work harder in our relationship to preserve what marriage ought to picture and provide. So, if you're taking notes, Dating 101. Are you ready? We're going to talk about the who of dating, the how, and the why. Real, real simple. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. I'm giggling. Sorry. Any case, <laughs> verse 1 and 2 says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. And everyone said... Amen. When Paul talks about touch, he doesn't mean that if you bumped into someone on the way in tonight and you're like, oh, sin, or, you're, or you gave someone even a holy hug or like a happy handshake or whatever, and, and you're like, that's it, going to hell, straight, straight there. That's not what he's talking about with touch, obviously. Obviously, you want to keep things holy and sanctified, but he's talking about sexual misconduct. It's not appropriate, basically, what Paul's saying, it's not appropriate for sexual misconduct to happen or for sex to happen outside of the marriage covenant is what he's explaining. It's not good for a man just to, to sleep with whoever he wants. That's not a good thing. He's, remember, he's talking to a group of people that are like, hey, this is how we've always lived. And Paul says, eh, it's not a good thing. Right? 
It's pretty funny. Okay, so it's not a good thing. But there is a proper way in which that is to be used. There is a, a boundary in which sex has been given to us by God. Sexuality is a part of our human condition. It's something that God has placed into us. Okay? But remember, we live in a fallen world and we're a broken people. It says, nevertheless, right, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. We all have desires, appetites that God has built into us, i.e. air, food. I mean, air is a big one. Um, food is one of my big ones. Uh, water. All, you know, some of you are coming in here with like your own five-gallon bucket, and you're like, yeah, I'm just trying to stay hydrated. And, you know, had a gnarly workout. I should probably drink more water. But um, food, water, love is a big one. We all deserve and have that need in our life to be loved. Compassion, or companionship, a sense of worth also, it's like part of being a human being, uh, and an impulse for sexual intimacy. But all of those have been affected by the fall. Every one of those impulses and drives has actually been affected by sin. All of those desires have now been affected by this worldwide pandemic called sin. And people often have the wrong view of themselves, right? They say that I'm a good person. I don't know if I, I'm a good person. I just live in a fallen world and man, it makes it really hard to do what's right. That is a wrong view of yourself. The Bible tells us that the fall of man in Genesis chapter three, it didn't just affect the world around you. It affected all of us externally and internally that it affected us all the way down to a genome level. It affected our soul. In fact, the Bible describes it in this language. You who were dead in sins and trespasses. That affected by sin. So it's not that we live in just a fallen world. We live in a broken world and we are broken people. And so we're bent towards sin. We're bent towards the effect of sin. And for example, just... Food and good relationships are all something that we can high-five and say like, yeah, homeschool high-five. Praise God for food and praise God for relationships and friends. That's fantastic. But when you look at that drive for food, what do you have? If you look at it from a perspective of the world, we have disorders within that drive. There's gluttony. There's eating disorders. In relationships, we see jealousy, codependency, and abuse. Because sin affects all of those drives. And so it's not that you just live in a fallen world. You're a good person who lives in a fallen world. You are a broken person who lives in a broken world. And this is why we need Jesus. This is why we need Jesus. In every aspect of my life, as I re am coming back to him, he says that he redeems me unto himself into right relationship because of the cross of Jesus Christ. His blood makes me clean. And as I come under his authority again, so do all of my desires. They come under his authority as king and ruler of my life. Therefore, the desire for food is a good thing, and yet God has put parameters around it. The desire for sex is a good thing, yet God has put parameters around it. And as I allow him to be king and lord of my life, I see that his design is best. It's blessed in the way in, God, in which God intended it to be. Christ restores. Christ restores and redeems all things back to himself. No longer is there a separation of sacred and secular. All are his, all are yours, because you belong to Christ. And that is the victory cry of the Christian. That is the joy in which we find in every aspect of life, whether it's sitting around the table with friends or you're taking a nap on a Sunday, uh, on a Sunday afternoon, which I don't know anything about, or, or you're at the beach and you finally hang 10 for the first time in your adult life because it never happens because you're huge and, and <laughs> personal experience. It finally happens. You're like, this is what heaven will be. Or put that into your context, however that is. <laughs> Christ redeems all things. And as I come under his authority and his rulership as king of my life, I find that his way is best. You're not just a person, a good person living, I, hope, I hate to like break it to you. You're like, I'm a pretty good person. Eh, nah, -uh, not really. 
And no one is. We're all broken people. That's why we're here. Man, we need Jesus. I myself need Jesus. I don't get to do this because like I'm the best and I know everything about, about the Bible. It's because if I didn't do this and I wasn't in the word and like this was my job dedicated to this, who knows where the heck I'd be. Probably live in a van down by the river. That's where I would be. <laughs> we all need Jesus. So all that to say, listen, the perfect person is not perfect at all. The perfect person is, in fact, not perfect at all. Fallen people in a fallen world. The Bible only gives us two real qualifications for dating, and they are simple. Are you ready? How do you like simple things? I'm a simple person. Here's the simple things. Number one, they must be, or they need to be, a believer. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6.14. So if you're going to date someone, qualification number one, do they believe in the same God that you believe in? I'm not just talking about like, yeah, I believe in God <laughs> in the broad sense of the term. But do they believe in what you believe? That is qualification number one. You want to hear the next one? This is a humdinger. It's a word. They need to be the member or a member of the opposite sex. Wow. Wow. Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 through 24, Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, Ephesians 5, 22 through 32. That's it. Those are the qualifications. Do they believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Do they follow him with their whole heart? Are they the member of the opposite sex? The Bible says those are the two qualifications for dating. That's it. Doesn't talk about... <laughs> now, obviously, okay, obviously... We're looking for more than just a person who is attractive and loves Jesus. Undeniably, there will be more involved in our discernment while dating. Apart from questions of attraction and chemistry, which are not insignificant, the Bible articulates some roles for wives and for husbands. A husband ought to protect and provide for his wife. Ephesians 5. A wife ought to help and submit to her man. I like that part. Submit to her man. Genesis 2, 18. Now, if you, if you do end up getting engaged and you do premarital, we'll talk about more of what that is, but we don't have time. So if you have questions about submitting one to another, you can ask me later. This is not like a sexist, weird thing or like the man just is king of the castle and wears slippers and his wife's like, what do you need, good sir? That's not what that is at all. Fathers ought to lead their families in God's word, Ephesians 6, 4. Parents must love and raise their children in faith, Deuteronomy 6, 7. So obviously there's more that goes into it than just like, do you believe in Jesus? Are you, are you like, you're a guy? Sick. Like, let's get, well, let's get together. That's not, obviously there's more to it. But that's all the Bible describes. But if you look at one of the longest chapters in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 24, it's about a man finding his wife. It's, it's longer than the creation story. In Genesis chapter 24, it says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, he says, Swear to me by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to, the, to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. So Abraham says to his servant, like this is the most important thing right now. He says to his servant, promise me, swear to me. Like this is really serious. Do not get a wife for my son from the Canaanites because they do not believe in the God that we believe in. Like that is foundational for, I don't care who you are. It is so important. It is so important that the Bible only names two qualifications. And one of them is that you must be equally yoked with someone that you are walking life with. A.W. Tozer said the most important thing about a person is what they think about God. That is the most important thing about a person. Because who you think runs the universe will inform you of values and goals. And if they're not a believer, they're going to go in a different direction. 
You're going in two different directions. You're traveling in opposite directions. And if you're supposed to walk as partners in life, listen, and the goal and the intention of dating is to evaluate. If, if singleness is about devotion, then dating is about evaluation. You're evaluating, is this someone that I want to spend the rest of my life with? Because that is the purpose of it. It's not just for a good time or because you're lonely and you're like, hey, girls got to eat, you know, and my coffee order is expensive and I just can't pay for it anymore. That's not the purpose or, or the part of it. It's not recreational. It's not a sport. Guys, girls. It's for the intention of marriage. That's a big deal. Jesus even said, you are the bride of Christ. He uses a picture of marriage to, to help imitate or help us to see as an illustration of what it is to be a relationship between us and God. So do you, if you think God is like lax on relationship, he's not. He cares. It's very important to him. And the number one thing he says for Christians is this. If he's not a believer, she's not a believer, then what are you doing? What are you doing? You're like, well, it's like a, it's like a, we'll get there. People don't change. <laughs> like, like it does happen. Granted, it does happen. And let's not say like it never happens. It does. My mom and dad are, are proof of that. My dad got saved before my mom and, and whatever. But, but it's not always the case. If you're going into a relationship like, yeah, I believe in Jesus and he doesn't. He won't go to church with me or she won't go to church with me. Then what are you doing? I'll tell you what you're doing. You're wasting your time. And singleness is a short time in which it's to be spent in devotion to the Lord. Don't waste your time on that. Not that people are wasting time, but he might be. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? Why? Why is this so important? They're living in a, for a different purpose. If you're bound to them, one or two things will happen. You're going to drag them to church. You're going to drag them to the things of God. It's not fun to try and drag someone to church. It's not fun to be dragged either. Because that will happen. Or you're both going different directions and it will put strain on the marriage. Tommy Nelson, he says, you do not want to bind yourself to someone who cannot speak about the deepest things in your heart. Don't settle. The, the way in which God has made us is body, mind, and soul. All three are involved when it comes to your relationship with a person. If you can't speak into someone's soul on a spiritual level, then you're missing out on that, that part of your relationship. And it's... it's you can only go so far, right? You can only go so far in a relationship when it can't be met on a spiritual level as well. So not just a believer, but are they a pursuer of God? The Bible says to chase after the Lord. Um, presence at church, Bible in hand, Christian words and talk doesn't mean anything. <laughs> um, because you can put a bow tie on a dog, but it's still a dog. Like, it doesn't matter. If, you can have a Bible that, that is so crispy new. Like, the guy's like, yeah, I just bought it at Barnes & Noble. And, and he knows that our date's going to be at church. And he just so happens to have it just perfectly held in his hand just so you can see it. And he's like, yeah, praise God. That's what we say, right? Praise God. Woo! Yeah, let's raise hands. Let's do whatever. And all that means nothing as you watch their life. Because what you profess to believe, you are guaranteed, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, if you are raised to life, you are born again by the Spirit of God, things do not just stay the same. There is a change in your life. So part of dating is watching someone's life. Maybe he's a dog with a bow tie on. Maybe she is too. <laughs> Paul says these Listen, there's, we live in a fallen world. We, live in, we are fallen people. And so sometimes that gets muddled and mixed up in our relationships. But not just a believer, but a pursuer of God. And the next thing is we want to find them at the front. And here's what I'm saying. And here's what this means. When you meet someone, you want to meet them at the front serving Jesus. Are they serving in a way that you're serving? Like, and that's just a, a wonderful thing as you're single and stuff like that. Serve God. 
One of the things my wife always says is that she, she wished she had done more, she had served more while, she was, while we were dating. She worked her butt off and was in school and working and all that. She's like, I wish I would have taken time to just serve Jesus in that time because you're not able to get that back. So she says, I wish I would have served more. And, and what, what's finding your fiance or finding that person at the front means that they're not afraid to work and they're not afraid to serve. Proverbs 31, verse 13 says, she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. Verse 17 says, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. Service is a response to the goodness of God in our life, right? It's not by compulsion. It's not because you have to. It's not because Jesus says, if you want to be saved, you better serve in children's ministry. That's, that's nowhere in the Bible. But what is in the Bible is that if your life has been changed by the Spirit of God, then an outpouring and an outflow of that, because we love Jesus, is we begin to serve him. We begin to serve him. We die to the things of the flesh. We're alive to the things of God. And so we're serving him, whether that's in church or out in the world, we are serving Jesus with our life. And so you want to look for someone who's doing that, whose life has been so radically changed by the gospel that they cannot help but be involved in what God is doing in the world through the gospel. So find him in the front, not that just the front row, you're like, I'm moving seats. Some of you had to sit here because there was nowhere else to sit. So service is a response to the goodness of God. I'm reminded of Mary. She sat there at the feet of Jesus. And she pours out this, this bottle of costly perfume. And she anoints Jesus' feet. And the whole house fills with this fragrance. It's a reminder that she was pouring out all that she had. The most valuable thing in her possession. She pours it out on the feet of Jesus. Find someone who is pouring their life out for Jesus. This is, this is the goal. This is what we're looking for. If you're, if you're looking, there's nothing wrong with looking. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Finding involves looking. If you're looking, look to find someone who's serving Jesus at the front. Find someone who's pouring themselves out for the Lord. That leads us to our second point. And that is, how are we to date? How do we do this thing? Like, is it on an app? Is it a, a direct message? Um, is it, um, you know, messenger pigeon? Like, how are we doing this thing? Do we ask for coffee? Is that too forward? Now, hallelujah. It is really hard. And God bless you. If you have, guys, if you have the guts to walk up to a girl and say, hey, you're, you're great. Would you, <laughs> like I said, it's been a while. <laughs> you're great. Would you like to go get coffee with me sometime? And for that, and you're just out there, like you've just put it all out there and you're sitting there waiting for the response. And you're like, that's it. I, I'm going to get clobbered right now. And she says, I'm super busy for the next four years or whatever. <laughs> okay, how do we do this thing? Like, how do you meet someone? Like, whatever. Um, the Bible doesn't say, doesn't say, like, make sure you have camels ready to sell and all this stuff. How? The Bible doesn't have step one through, you know, step one through 54 to dating. But I do think that scripture has principles as well as wisdom that we can apply to the area of dating. So, Bear with me. I know we're supposed to be in 1 Corinthians 7. I know you're like, Calvary Chapel is verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but it's really hard when it's not in there. And so just bear with me, and I pray that you come back at some point. <laughs> so number one, we want to date in fellowship. Date in fellowship. Proverbs 11:14 says, where there is no guidance, no, uh, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Dating is a matter of doing your best to discern a person's ability to fulfill God's vision and purpose for your marriage with you. While you might be the one with the final say, um, you might not be the best person to assess character at every point. So just as in every other area of the Christian life, you need the body of Christ as you think about whom to date and how to date and when to get married. We want to date within community and date within fellowship. Meaning that you don't just hang out with your boyfriend, or you just hang out with your girlfriend and, and 
your friends aren't involved, or, or you have friends that are willing to tell you the truth, you know what I mean? Anyone can find anyone to affirm their behavior. It takes a real friend to tell you, like, to your face, like, you're making a mistake. And also, you have blind spots, and you're not seeing these red flags that are coming up. That takes a real friend. So if you have someone like that, give them a big fat hug and say, you're awesome, and I'm so sorry for not listening to you, and for, you know, or whatever. It's, I'm so sorry. Or, <laughs> While it's rare, it's rarely quick or convenient, gaining the perspective of people who you know love, uh, who love you and have great hope for your future will always pay dividends. It may lead to a hard conversation or a deep disagreement, but it will force you to deal with things that you did not or could not have seen on your own. You'll find safety with an abundance of counselors. So date within fellowship. Don't be on your own, man. If you ever watch a nature show and it's like the cheetah part and it's like, oh, cheetahs, and it's like them hunting, they're not going after like the massive herd of a hundred and they're like, I'm gonna just gonna run in there and go crazy. What do they look for? The lone little sick one with the broken hoof who's like limping along. He's like, hey, I'm part of the group. They always get picked off, right? You know what I'm saying? All of you are like, oh, I remember that. It's so sad. That's what they're looking for. When you date outside of fellowship and you push everyone out of your relationship, it's my business, has nothing to do with you. Guess what? You're that little caribou or whatever with the broken hoof. That's you. And you're like, I got this. I'm strong. And here comes the devil. He's like, I'm so glad you did it this way. Watch this. I'm going to ruin your whole life. It's going to be awesome. You're going to be left there bleeding alone. And then all my friends are going to come and eat you alive. So. Song of Solomon. Sorry, I don't know where that went. Song of Solomon, chapter one. It says, this is in the Bible. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Now, when people say, like, this is about Jesus, I don't want to do that with Jesus. Okay? So I do think that Song of Solomon is God's format for dating and marriage. Okay? It's not just an allegory, a relationship with you and Jesus. And you're like, oh, that's, I'm dating Jesus. If that's you, just get out. Okay? Get out. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Hold on. Time out. Do you see where this is going? This is the Shulamite who's like, you are so handsome. And I just want to kiss you so bad. And, and all of a sudden, there's, I'm wrapped up in all these fragrances and your anointing oils. And, and she's like, I'm going into his room. Guess what? All of a sudden, these other voices come into the chapter. And it says, the others, or the daughters of Jerusalem. And they say, we will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love. And they pull her back. And they keep her safe. Because they're not married at that point. It's the very first chapter of the book. All of a sudden, she's so caught up and love is so powerful. She's saying, this is where I want to be. I want to be with him always together alone. That's where I want to be. And their friends say, that's awesome. At some point you will. And we're going to bless and we're going to extol. And we're going to be excited. But before that happens, and we're going to pull you back. She's like, help me. I need carbs. And, and <laughs> I'm out of control. And they're like, you are out of control. And we are here to help you. Okay? So date with other people around you who love you enough to tell you you're going crazy. Like, like just pull back a little bit here. Number two, we want to choose clarity over intimacy. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Sex and fooling around will only muddle our thoughts. It blurs red flags and warning signs. You won't see them at that point. So, the greatest danger of dating is giving parts of your hearts and lives to someone to whom we're not married. It is a significant risk. And many, many men and women have deep and lasting wounds from relationships because a couple enjoyed emotional and physical closeness without a lasting, durable commitment. Someone said cheap intimacy feels real for the moment, but you get what you pay for. While the great prize in marriage is Christ-centered intimacy, the great prize in dating is Christ-centered clarity. 
clarity. It is the biggest decision of your life. Therefore, you need to be thinking clearly, right? Would you all agree that is a, that is a good thing? And the way that the devil muddles that all up is through intimacy. Not that it's not good or it's not blessed or it's not something that like, yeah, you have that desire and urge. Yeah, it's there. But guess what? It's going to throw you off so bad that all you can see and all you're chasing is that moment and that feeling. Nothing else matters at that point. That's why Song of Solomon says, do not awaken love before it's time. It's like a mountain lion around the corner. Is that ever? A friend of mine was out in the woods and uh, was taking a walk with Jesus. Just kidding. He was out there in the woods and he was listening to a Bible study on his phone. He's out there walking and he hears uh, cracking behind him and he turns around and no joke, from me to my bearded friend here, there's a mountain lion just sitting there looking at him. Just staring at him. And he said that he needed a new pair of shorts. No, he stood there and he starts screaming at this thing. Screaming at it like, hey, ah, ah. And the thing just lays down and doesn't move. And at that point, he's like, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm screaming at it. That's not working. I'm making myself as big as I can. That's not working. Everything they tell me to do, it's not working. And finally, he just like, he has, it's John Corson on the video. So he's filming this whole thing. You can see it. He's filming the mountain lion and you can hear him screaming. And John Corson's like, oh, you know, and all. And he's like, <laughs> it's like the, the house that he's still going. And here's this mountain lion just looking at him, licking his lips. Like, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. I'm going to start at the ankles. Work my way up, you know. And suddenly the thing just turns and walks away back in the forest. That's, honestly, that's what love is like. It is so powerful so intense that if you awaken it before it's time, it will devour you. It will devour you. So be careful. Treat it with the utmost respect. In our pursuit of clarity, we will undoubtedly develop intimacy. It's part of dating. It's part of um, seeking out that person who, who we're to be with. But we ought not to do so too quickly or too naively. Let's be intentional and outspoken to one another as Christians. Intimacy before marriage is dangerous while clarity is unbelievably precious. Why? Okay, so if you're like, if it's this difficult to get married, why do it at all? <laughs> Paul talks about, um, he says here, um, now to the married I command you not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. Even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or to be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, do, I, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife, does not believe, and she is unwilling to stay with him, let her divorce her. If you turn over the page, look what he says later on about marriage. He says, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, but, he who, uh, but how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. An unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash or put uh, what is improper that may serve the Lord without distraction, but if any man thinks he is having improperly towards the virgin, may he pass through and all the blah, 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 blah. What is he saying here? What makes marriage worth it? Like if this is, if, if you're sitting here tonight and you read what Paul's saying, like there's a bunch of stuff that goes into this. This is hard work. You got to care for somebody. You got to take care of somebody. You're like, then why? Why get married? Why not just enjoy the fruits of marriage and all the benefits of it without having to commit to anyone? Right? Sounds like the philosophy of the world. But the question is, is marriage really worth it? Is it worth it? Ephesians 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why get married? Is it really worth it? With the divorce rate what it is and all of that, what is the goal and the objective? Maybe you're saying, well, I just don't want to be alone on Friday night anymore. We just want to post almost candid, artistically framed pictures with someone on a bridge somewhere. That's what I want to do. 
We want a guilt-free way to have sex. We just want a guy or a girl to tell us that we're attractive and funny and smart and good at our job. If marriage only offered these things, it really wouldn't be worth it, would it? Marriage is worth having because in it you get God in a lifelong commitment to one another. Marriage is about knowing God, worshiping God, depending on God, displaying God, being made like God. God made man and woman in his image and joined them together, giving them the unique responsibility to care for one another. And that's why it's worth it. That's why it's worth it. It actually is a way in which God has given to us to draw us closer to Jesus and to give us a greater picture of what it is to know God. Um, we talked about earlier how compatibility is a big thing. Um, it is a big thing. You should be compatible. It's like, you know, if you're like um, totally, we have nothing in common, then that's kind of rough. Like my wife and I have nothing really in common. Um, but it works. Like it's totally great. And, and I've learned to like, oh, like, cool. What you like is actually like pretty fun. She loves football now, which is like rad. She's playing fantasy football, came in second this year, you know, props to Emma for coming in number one. But in the men's league, our wives won, which is awesome. But compatibility is not the driving force. It's commitment. It's commitment. You can be as compatible as anyone's ever been compatible, but unless you're willing to commit for life, it means nothing. And I think a great example of that is God and sinful man. If you just look at the history of the nation of Israel, if you look at the evil and wickedness of Israel, like for year after year after year, coming back to the Lord, drifting away from the Lord, coming back to the Lord. What you never find is God ever drifting or leaving. He is committed. Talk about incompatible, unholy man with a righteous God, but yet God is committed to that relationship. Marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. It's a, it's a picture to the world. That's why the church takes marriage so seriously. That's why we, we, we stand upon principles in which the Bible says, this is how it's set up. This is what it means. This is why it's important. And that's why we die on that hill. We don't change that. Because Jesus gave it to us. God gave it to us as a way to display the gospel to the rest of the world. So it's a big deal. So is marriage worth having? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a blessing. It is, it is wonderful. It, there's nothing... Um, I can compare it to in, in the 13 years that I've been married. It's been just every year. It's like, I don't know. I think I know everything about you, but then I don't. It's this wonderful puzzle and mystery that you have to figure out. It's really fun. <laughs> but the prize of marriage, like we said, is Christ-centered intimacy. Not only do you get this person who loves Jesus, but you get God in the mix and God is drawing you together as a couple and he's also drawing you towards him. And what they bring to the table is something that you never imagined you needed. Have you ever thought about that? If you're praying like, God, I just, this is what I'm looking for and this is what I want. I just wanna say right now, you have no idea what you're looking for and what you need. God does and he will do it. He will surpass what you could ever ask or think. That's how good God is. When he brings you that person, you're like, I had no idea that this is what I needed, but I did and I'm so glad God did it. It's, it's rad. Like, yes, it's worth having. It's worth waiting for. It's worth doing it the right way. It's worth allowing yourself to wait. It's worth, it's worth it to be slow in the pursuit of a person. It's worth it to take your time. It's worth it to spend time in devotion and learning to be the person that God has called you to be. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's, it's God's blessing to us. God invented it. God gave it to us. And he says, be blessed. This is what I have, I've designed for you. If that's your gift. If that's what God's called you to. So, I'm just going to stop talking. I hope tonight brought some clarity. If it didn't, just don't listen to anything I just said. But if God is speaking to you on, a, on something, like, dude, Hold on to that. 
Hold on to it. Write it down. You have your whole life ahead of you. You have so much life that's going to come, come ahead. Sometimes it feels like, it, like it's slipping by. You're like, oh, I'm 23. Like, I got to get my life going. Like, no, you don't. Calm down. Life does not begin once you meet someone. This is life. This is it. Life does not begin once you like, oh, now I've reached my goal. Now, now I can really start to enjoy life. This is your life. Enjoy it. And whatever God brings you, enjoy it. So, let us close in prayer. Lord, we love you and thank you for your goodness to us, your mercy that you've shown towards us. Lord, that we're a broken people in a broken world, but God, you sent your son to die on a cross to restore us, to fix the cracks within our soul, to bring us back to life. And so, Jesus, we, we give you all praise tonight because we know you and we, we have relationship with you because you're our Lord and our Savior. And that means, God, we are... We are whole. We are made whole in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, in our lives, we want to glorify you in all areas of our life. The Bible tells us in, in the prior chapter, in chapter 6, that we were bought at a price. We are not our own. Lord, you are the one who is in control of our life, and we gladly surrender it to you and say, God, do as you will. My life is yours. And so, Lord, when, there, when that time comes and we start to fight with you and argue with you and tell you what to do, God, remind us that we are not our own. You have bought us, Lord. Not with, with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ that you shed upon the cross. And so, Lord, we give you freedom in our life to do as you will. Lord, if there's sin in our life, Lord, maybe we've made mistakes. Lord, we've, we've um, done things that we're not proud of. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit tonight would, again, Revive and restore. Where the devil would come in and condemn, Lord, we pray that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would draw us to the throne of grace. Where we lay our sin before you and allow you to take it and remove it and to restore us, Lord. We pray that the devil would have no, no ground to come in and try and snatch away, Lord, what you're doing in our heart. And so, Lord, we love you. We praise you for all that you've given to us, Lord. And all that you've kept back from us, Lord. I think of so many things in which I prayed for, but Lord, you didn't do. And I'm so thankful, God, that you didn't, that you said no to that prayer. And, and, and Lord, in your timing and in your way, Lord, we're so thankful that you're a God who cares for us so much. So Lord, we pray that as we close in worship, you'd speak to our hearts, continue to, to cause us, Lord, to praise you and worship you, no matter where we're at in our life, whether we have a heart of gratitude and thankfulness or we're dealing with something and we're struggling to sing. Lord, I pray you'd bring us to that place of humble surrender unto you to give to you what, what is yours, God, our, our praise and our worship. So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.